the secret of the millionaire mind. Secret life of bees. Or as some of you are probably interested in, the secrets of the baby whisperer. Okay, somebody might, here might be interested in that. Oh, we're, we're drawing, you can have any of those secrets, by the way, for $10 on Amazon. Yeah, you can, those are all books, titles of books, and, and we're all kind of drawn in by secrets. We're all kind of drawn in, you know, if there's, if there's some hidden way that we can figure out that will make life work better, man, we really, we really want to know it. I, I think, I think, I think justifiably so. We're looking for an answer. We're looking for, you know, if there is, that life is often mysterious and we are trying to find out how to live it and find out how to have fullness in it and figure out how to, uh, figure out how, how, how can I be full and satisfied and have life to the fullest. That's what I want to help you with because I know the mystery. I know the secret to the mystery. In fact, it is an open secret. A lot of you know it already. You don't even know that you know it because you don't know what it is or who it is. But now I think you maybe do know who it is because you know it. You know him. It's an open secret. The secret of all the knowledge and all the glory and all the joy and, and all the life is found in the mystery of God, which was hidden for ages and generations past, but is now revealed. And the mystery is Christ. And Him we proclaim. That's what we want to look at today. We just want to see Christ. Christ is the mystery. He is the open secret. He is the mystery that was hidden in the past and now made known to us. And we don't have to look anyplace else. If you're looking for the secrets of life, don't look on Amazon. Don't look to the latest guru. Don't look to the infomercial. Look to Christ. Don't look to the false religion. Don't look to the prosperity preacher. Don't look anyplace else. Look to Christ. Today we're going to be in, we're going to start in Colossians 1, in the last paragraph of Colossians 1. And we'll go in today to the first paragraph of the second chapter. So Colossians 1. Verses 24 through 29. And the, the first, uh, the, the title of the first division is just simply from verse 27. The, the riches of the glory of this mystery. And this mystery is Christ. Let's start in verse 24 though. This is what it says. Colossians 1 starting in verse 24 it says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now verses 21 through 23 that we didn't read, but it's a paragraph right before. Paul explains to the Colossians 
He talks to them about what they, what they once were. They once were hostile and alienated from God, but now they have been reconciled by God. They have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for their sins to bring them back to God, the, the God that they were alienated toward, and, and not only alienated from, but hostile towards him, God brought them back. And it's, the, it's that message, that, that message of reconciliation through Jesus Christ that, that Paul is a minister of. That is, he's a servant of that message, to proclaim that message, to teach people that message. And he starts off in verse 24. He says, I'm, I, I rejoice. I, I, am, I am glad to be suffering for your sake. And he even says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of the body, that is the church. Some people get tied up there about the filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And I, I understand that. But it's, it's really not that complicated. We know, even from just chapter 1, we know that he does not mean that in some way he is adding to the sufferings of the, the redemptive sufferings or the atoning sufferings of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the atonement of Jesus Christ, Jesus' death on the cro- cross was sufficient for the reconciliation of the church, of sinners to himself. In fact, it was effective. It, it brought the church. It brought, it brought all, those, all those who would one day put their faith in Jesus Christ. It was sufficient for them. It was effective for them to bring them to God again. So we know it can't be that. And if you should look at the context, what, he, what he's pointing toward is... To, to get the gospel out there. So he's talked in, in chapter 1 a little bit about how the gospel has gone out into all the world. Well, how do you get the gospel out into all the world? To get the gospel out into all the world, it requires some suffering. And that was, Paul, Paul knew that from the beginning. Uh, God said to Ananias, uh, a prophet, who was sent to, uh, to lay hands on Paul so he would receive his sight again, so that he would be healed, and, and then to baptize him. He said, I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer for my name. Uh, Paul knew that it was part of the job description for an apostle, uh, and even for anybody who is in Christ Jesus, who is following after Christ. If, if the world hated Christ, it's going to hate uh, those who follow him as well, and there is the necessity of, of facing down that suffering and suffering with Christ. And, and just to add, even add on to that, that word that's, that's translated afflictions there, that is never used in the New Testament for Christ's redemptive sufferings or his atoning sacrifice. So you can kind of see there that, that Paul is he's suffering. He's, he's, he's suffering for Christ. He's suffering like Christ because he's a follower of Christ. He's an apostle of Christ. What, who is he suffering for, though? That's what I want you to see here at the outset. Who is he suffering for? could say he's suffering for Christ that certainly would be certainly be true he's suffering for the gospel he's suffering for the proclamation of the gospel that would be true but because he is suffering for Christ he is also suffering for your sake he is suffering for the sake of the church in Colossae he is suffering for the Colossians he is suffering I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church I was made a, I was made a minister According to the stewardship from God of, for the church. He, he is suffering. He is facing affliction for the church. That's because, that's because this is how it works. If you, if you are ready to suffer for Christ, who is the head of the body, the church, then you are also ready to suffer for the body, the church, because Christ is her head. In fact, 
very often, most often, the way that you suffer for Christ is suffering for his body, the church. You know, are you, are you ready to suffer for Jesus Christ? Now, I'll speak to one, one group of you who, who I think, you, don't even, you, you really struggle maybe even with answering that. Am I ready to suffer insult and deprivation and maybe even, who knows, imprisonment and death for the sake of Jesus Christ, the way that Paul was? I, man, I, I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And am I, am I really ready to do that? that that, that seems so large. I just, it's, not that, it's not that I don't love Jesus. It's just that I don't know if I can really do that. Well, I, I want to say one comforting thing to you. And that is, if it ever comes to any kind of suffering and you're a child of God, the Spirit of God will give you the strength to face that. More to the point here, though, what I want you to see is you are suffering for Jesus. When you are when you're preparing meals for people, when you're praying for people, when you're preparing yourself ahead of time to come to church, to, to, to stir up other people to love and good deeds, when you're opening up your home to other people, when you're caring for other people, when you're praying for other people, you're suffering for the church. Or at very, the very least, by your acts of self-denial and service. You are preparing yourself to suffer for Jesus. When you, when you cook, when you babysit, when you build, when you repair, when you pray, when you encourage, when you do anything for the church, you are already working for Jesus Christ. Now I want to speak to another group of you. Sometimes there are those who say, yes, I'm ready to die for Jesus. I'm ready to do anything for Jesus. I, I will face any deprivation. I will face any insult. I will, I will face any marginalization or ostracism or, or even imprisonment and death. I will, I will do whatever it takes to follow Jesus Christ. And I say, is that really true? Because there are some who I think say that and their commitment to the local church is a couple of Sundays a month. Even though they seem to have plenty of, of money for entertainment and recreation and, and uh, all kinds of other luxuries, they seem to barely be able, if ever, to find $100 out of their personal budget to give to the church. They have all kinds of times for all, for all kinds of things, and yet they very rarely set aside time for acts of service or personal ministry toward the church, to the church. Sometimes we... We have this heightened sense of what we're really ready to do for Jesus Christ until it actually comes to doing what Jesus Christ did. That is, humbling ourselves and acting like servants, washing people's feet. If you're not ready to suffer for the church, you're not ready to suffer for Christ. The way that you deny yourself, the way that you... Put yourself to death, your old self, and live in Christ is to serve other people. Is to put to death sin and to put on humility and kindness and love for other people. I know who's really ready to suffer for Jesus Christ. That's because I already see those who give evidence of their faith by suffering for the church. He even talks about in verse 25, he talks about 
the, of the church, of, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship, or you could say commission, that God uh, got uh, from God that was given to me. That is, I, I, I started to serve the church. I became a servant of the church. I became one who was, who was caring for the church or loving the church because of a, a stewardship that was given to me. That is, I, he, was, he was given a task. He was given a job. Jesus Christ appeared to Paul in a blinding light and said, I'm going to make you an apostle. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. That was a stewardship from God, but it was a stewardship from God for the church. Now, not all of us are, or any of us, I expect here, are called to be apostles. Uh, and and uh, the, the ways that we will suffer and the ways that we will serve will vary widely and to varying degrees. But do you see the close analogy between the stewardship that is given to Paul for the church and our very own spiritual gifts that God gave to us for the church? Just think of it this way. God gave a stewardship to Paul for the church. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, I have given to each member of the body. I've given to each body part in the body of Christ a spiritual gift for the edification, for the building up of the church. And so whatever, whatever your stewardship is, whatever your job is, whatever your role is, whatever your function is, whatever your assignment is, whatever your gift is, you are using it for the church. And when you're using it for the church, you're using it for Christ. I think, I think people have this, uh, there, there is, uh, I, I want to say it is, it has been extremely dam- damaging to the discipleship of God's people over the decades where someone took an important truth, that is that God died for a universal church, a body of believers from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and throughout the ages. He died for them. And they took that and they said something like, I love the big C church. I love the universal church. I love, I love Jesus, but I don't, I don't like the institutional church. If you're not ready to suffer for the church, for real life people, you're not ready to suffer for Jesus. If you're not using your spiritual gifts for other people, you're not using them for Jesus. You cannot, you cannot abstract your spiritual gifts. You cannot abstract your money and your time and your energy and say, I'm going to give that directly to Christ. You are called to give it to other people. Those other people are especially the household of God, the church. And it goes on from there. The, the stewardship was to make the word of God fully known. He goes on, he elaborates from that in verse 26. He talks about the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. This was made, this is a mystery that was made known to them. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to start just simply here. That's a complex idea, but I think that when you get it, it's not going to be that, there's not going to be that complex at all. A mystery, the way it's talked about here, is not a mystery the way we sometimes talk about a mystery. Uh, a mystery, sometimes when we talk about, say, uh, some doctrine is a mystery, like the Trinity, it's just a, it's a mystery. We're talking about it as something that we cannot fully comprehend. But that's not the way the word mystery is being used here. 
The way mystery is being used here is, the, the, the definition is almost right there in the verse. It's something that was hidden before the coming of Jesus Christ. But now that Jesus Christ has come, it's revealed. Now we actually learned about this about 18 months ago in Daniel 2. You can go back and still listen to that message online. Might might benefit you, might be helpful to go all the way through it. But in that, in that chapter, in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. It was a dream of a, of a great statue that represented all the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, and in the dream, uh, a, a stone that was not cut out by a human being, but instead was cut out by God. It's, it's a stone from God. It came and knocked down all those kingdoms, knocked down that statue, and, and they were all blown to bits. And this stone, it, it grew into, into a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Nobody could tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream meant except for Daniel. That's because there was something revealed to Daniel. It was the, uh, in the original languages, the Raz, the mystery. The mystery was made known to Daniel. It talks about it over and over again. Uh, it's used half a dozen times in Daniel 2. And then you have the stone. And so the, the question is, what's the mystery? Who, who or what is the stone? So they, you're reading Daniel 2. Maybe even in Daniel's mind, he's like, he's putting, his, he's putting his hope in the stone. What's the stone? Who's the stone? Paul says, the stone is Christ. The stone, in verse 27, the mystery which is Christ in you. This is, there are all these promises in, and, and pictures in the Old Testament. So there is, uh, who, who is the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman who would crush the serpent's head? The mystery is Christ. Who is the offspring given to Abraham through whom all the nations will be blessed? The, the mystery, the mystery that was hidden then, but the mystery is Christ. Who is the, uh, who is the, the one, the king that is going to come from Abraham, who is going to be the Lion of Judah, who's going to come through the line of David, who, who is going to be the star with the scepter, and who, who, is, who is the king? The mystery is Christ. Who is the tabernacle or the temple, or who is the priest, who is the sacrifice? The mystery is Christ. Who is the, the son, who is the child who is born to us, on whom the government will rest? who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Who, who is he? Who is, who, is, uh, who is the branch who will be called our righteousness, the Lord our righteousness? Who, who, is, who is that? Who is the, the one who will suffer in our place, who's, who's, uh, by his wounds we will be healed? Who, who is that? The mystery is Christ. Now then, do you, do you know what a lot of you already know? You already know the mystery. And that's part of what Paul is saying to the Colossians. Don't, don't go looking for the mystery, especially don't listen to these false teachers who are whispering in your ear, hey, we, we, we know the secrets. We know the secrets of, of how to have a really full spiritual life. We know the secrets of how to really know God and really be, be to, to receive something good from God and to, to receive all that you can get from God and, and to have the abundant. We really know the secrets. 
Paul's saying, yo, I know the secret. It's Christ in you. And you see there, he, he's talking about there, the, uh, he's, he's talking about Christ in you. And, and there's really a subtle difference, not really much difference between Christ in you and you in Christ. And, and talking about in Christ is kind of hard, or even Christ in you is a little bit hard. Because it's basically Paul's way of saying, everything that you have for salvation, all the different ways that I could talk about you being saved... That's in Christ. If Christ is, and we're just using like, a, like an analogy, but if life, Christ is like a, like a sphere or we could talk, you know, the image is a kingdom or, or, or some kind of realm, some kind of, you're in here. You're in Christ. In Christ is where all the blessings come from. In Christ is how, where the Spirit works in you. In Christ is how you get represented to Christ. You are connected to Christ. Christ Christ's power is coming to you. Christ's grace is coming to you. Christ is representing you. All the blessings of Christ are in Christ and Christ in you. You're connected. One helpful illustration, just another one is to think about like, like marriage. When you're in Christ, you get everything that is Christ and Christ takes everything that is yours and he he takes all your debts and you get all his riches and, and you just get everything in Christ. Now that I skipped a part kind of in the middle, he says to them, who, who's the them? Look, look in verse 26, end of verse 26 and beginning of verse 27, it says to them, that is to the saints. We've already talked about, I've already made note of the fact the saints are all those who are set apart as holy and devoted to God by the, by, through faith in Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's all of us. They're, they're, the, the mystery is out. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ, the mystery is out. The secret is out. We know it. We want to make to, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Uh, start with the, the idea of glory. Glory is sometimes hard to define to me also, but, but basically glory is what is in a person or in a thing that calls forth praise from us. And do you know what? Uh, just a common sense thing that a, that a writer once noted is that we are always happy when we are praising something. And, and when, we, when we know the glory of God, the glory of God, we were made for the glory of God. We were made to see. Before we, before we were alienated, we were made to see the glory of God. We were made to behold the glory of God and to have drawn from us praise for him. The problem is, is that we were alienated from the glory of God. We were hostile to the glory of God. But now... We have been reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we get to see the glory of God. We get to see the glory of God and we get to fulfill that purpose for which we were made. That is to have praise drawn from us. And we are happy and glad and overjoyed in this, in this praise to God. You know what eternity is? It is us, us being, it is, the, it is the glory, is the apprehension of the glory of God drawing from us praise. And our great joy in praising God, our creator and our redeemer. And he says, 
from there, he says, to, to make this, this, um, this glory, the glory of this mystery, to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory. So Paul doesn't elaborate much here as he does some other places. Just understand what, what is broken out. Since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and then sent his spirit to pour out in a greater measure, with a greater intensity, his own spirit, it has gone out to all nations, to people from all over the world. Making no distinction between those who are rich and those who are poor, from, between those who are educated and uneducated, between those who are civilized or uncivilized, between those who speak uh, Spanish or Urdu or English or anything else, making no distinction based upon those things, but instead his glory, the, the glory of this mystery has gone out. It, has, it, it, is, it is as the glory of God is shown to all people. He is, he is cho- choosing to make it known to all people. More people are seeing the glory of God. More people are responding in praise to the glory of God. More people are taking up in joy in the glory of God. That's what's happened. And so if, if the glory of one thing, the, elsewhere, I want to say it's uh, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, maybe it's 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about how the glory of one thing is different from another. So the, the eclipse is coming this week. Some of you are excited, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I know what people are talking about at first, okay, but some of that, there's an eclipse happening. It doesn't happen all the time. Man, it's when, it's when, it's when the moon is going to pass in front of the sun and, and sort of somewhat block out its light. Paul talks about there's a, there's a difference between the glory of the sun and the glory of, of the moon. And there are differences in glory. That is, you're, you're seeing something and it calls forth a, a different degree of praise from you. Do you know what the riches of the glory of this mystery should call out from you this the 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 riches of this mystery the glory of the riches of this mystery proclaimed among the gentiles proclaimed among us call forth praise to christ now he also uses glory one other time in that verse he says the mystery which is christ in you the hope of glory So you were made for glory. You were made to see God, praise God. You were alienated from God. But through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, he is the hope of again apprehending that glory. At one time, Adam and Eve walked in fellowship with God. They apprehended the glory of God. They apprehended the glory of God in all the things that he had made. They apprehended the glory of God in their fellowship with one another. They apprehended the glory of God in their, in their very own communion with God as God would come down to them and walk with them and fellowship with them. But because of sin, they were alienated from God. Do you know what your hope is to be to again see the glory of God and to apprehend the glory of God and to know the glory of God? Your hope of again seeing the glory of God is Christ. Trust Christ. Let me just paraphrase it one more time. Just to just try and bring all this in. Christ is the mystery. You were made for glory. And Christ is the, is the open secret to make it so that you can see the glory of God. So trust Christ. Don't, 
don't, and, and by the way, I think this is consistent with what Paul is saying in the book of Colossians. Don't look anyplace else for the, for the glory of Christ. Don't, don't look for something else. There is no other way to see the glory of God, to apprehend the glory of God, to, be, to have praise pulled from you to God. To, to be overwhelmed with joy in praising God because you are seeing the glory of God. There is no other way for that to happen except Christ. It's not Christ plus anything. It is not Christ, and it, it is not, let me, let me whisper the secrets over here. No, no this, the mystery has been solved. The mystery was hidden, but now it is revealed. It is Christ. The mystery is Christ. And then Paul says, starting in verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, that is, we are, we are proclaiming Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone. So, he's, so what it means to proclaim Christ is to teach people who Jesus is, to teach people the mystery of Christ. Even just as an aside, this is one of the reasons why we spend, I, I think, I, I feel like it's important to spend a good amount of time in the Old Testament because it's just enriching our understanding of of the mystery of christ and so he's teaching he's teaching and he's also admonishing this has the idea of a correction or warning and this is what it means to proclaim christ to teach people who christ is and to warn people that say to people the only way to know christ the only way to know god is christ the only way to have your sins taken away the only way to be righteous before god the only way to be to be changed is christ it's the only way he's the he's the only mystery that matters and he says warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so the, he, he speaks to god he speaks to people in wise ways if you want to know what it means to be to speak in all wisdom you just have to go to the book of proverbs you go through there you, you underline or circle or highlight or, or write down someplace else. All of the, all the places where it talks about speaking to other people, that's wisdom. God tells you how to do that. And, that, and just, just to make a note of it here, this is not the last time that Paul is going to talk about it in the book of Colossians. He's going to later on say that he says, I speak with all wisdom. The false teachers appear to have wisdom, but they don't really. And then when believers speak to other believers, they should, they should teach and admonish one another with wisdom. And then when you walk among outsiders and give outsiders an answer, you should do it with, you should walk in wisdom and be gracious in your speech when you do that. So wisdom is important here. But his purpose is to present everyone mature in Christ. What a practical picture of what it looks like to fulfill the command that Jesus Christ gave to the apostles and by extension the church to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. It, it, is, it is not the goal of Paul the apostle, nor should it be the goal of anyone to merely, in a sense, try to get people across the line. The goal is to present everyone mature. He has, a, he has a way, he has a he has a content to what he is saying, that is Christ. He has a goal in what he is proclaiming, that is the maturity of everyone. 
And he has a way of doing that, teaching and admonishing. That's a good pattern to go by. One might even say that that's the pattern that we should go by, right? We're going to commit ourselves to that. Mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil, he is, he is working. He's working for the maturity of everyone so that everyone would be mature in Christ. The word translated toil there, it is. It's the word that's normally used for like manual labor. When I think of manual labor, I always think of ditch digging. So I had this, had this job one time in the summer, and uh, they were paying us uh, a, a very, very, very small Almost criminally small wage, okay? So me and these two other guys out there, and they told us to dig a ditch because we were cheaper. We, we, could take, we could take two weeks to dig the ditch, and we would be cheaper than the ditch witch. Anyway, so we're digging through there. It's near the coast, and people used to use oyster shells as French drains. And so you're just, you're just digging, and you're hitting oyster shells, and it's just falling back in, and, and, and you're cracking through it. And, and we made, like, no progress. I just think when, you, when you're reading Paul working with, with churches, he says something in, in Galatians about, I, I, am, I am so shocked that somebody has already come along and tried to pull you away from the gospel. What's wrong with you guys? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Okay? But that's what he's doing. It's just like, it's just like, it's, it's like so, the, so the ministry that he is doing is like dick, ditch digging, without the satisfaction of actually finishing a ditch, okay? And so I, I want to I bring that out for some of you who might aspire to, to preaching and teaching ministry. I want you to know it's, it's hard work. I mean, it, in a lot of places, it may, it may look like, hey, it, it, it doesn't have a lot of, a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it seems like people make, some people make a pretty good middle-class living at it. Maybe I want to do that. It, it, it it, is, it, it should be hard work when you're not, you know, copying somebody else's sermon, but you're digging into the Word for yourself, and you have the anxiety of all the people who have been putting your charge on you. That's hard work. I don't want to make it too grandiose. None of us has suffered the way that Paul does, but it is hard work. And not only is it hard work for pastors, I want you to know that if you are going to work for, to be a disciple maker, to work with other people, to see other people, it's going to feel like hard work. It's going to feel that way. It's going it's gonna, it's gonna to be hard work. Some of you have children. It's going to be hard work for you to raise your children to be Christians. That's hard work. It's going to be hard work for you to have a friend that you are trying to lead to Jesus Christ or help them grow to become a, a godly Christian. It's going to be hard work. Prepare yourself for that. But he says, for this I toil. For the, that is, for the, for the maturity of everyone in Christ. This I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. Some of you might think, well... Man, you just said before, I'm going to have to suffer for the church. I'm going to have to struggle for the church. I'm going to have to serve the church. And, and where, where, is the, where, is the, where is the time going to come from? Where is the energy going to come from? Where's the, where's the money going to come from? Where, how am I going to do any of those things? God will, God will supply your every need in Christ Jesus. He's going to supply what you need to do it. 
You commit yourself to suffering for Jesus and serving Jesus, which means serving the church and trying to see everyone mature in Christ. You, you commit yourself to that, and you will have what you need. It will feel like work. It will often mean self-denial. But you will have what you need. And think about this. Paul says, I suffer. He says, I suffer for the church's sake. I, I'm a minister. That means I'm a servant of the church. For, for the church. I'm serving. And I, I am toiling, toiling, back-breaking work for the church. And I think by analogy and by extension, we, we, are, we are denying ourselves to serve the church. And we are using our gifts for the church. We, are, are, we the ones, are we the ones serving the church? Yes. Are we the ones, are we the ones working for the church? Are we the ones using the gifts for the church? Yes. Are we, are we sometimes... Facing back-breaking toil for the church? Yes. Are we supposed to be the ones to get the credit for all the suffering and all the stewardship and all the work and all the serving and all the, all the gifts that we use for the church? Are we the ones supposed to get the credit for that? No. Because what do you have that you did not receive? What strength do you have of your own? None. What energy do you have of your own? None. What gifts do you have of your own? None. Where, where, does, where does the energy come from? Where does the strength come from? Where does the power come from? It is God giving it to us. He is, he is giving it to us, not in such a way as to erase the experience of toil and suffering. But he is giving us the strength. He is giving us the power. And in fact, I am confident that all of those who are loving Christ, who are in Christ and have Christ in them, all of you are going to work for the church. You are going to serve the church. And while you are serving the church and giving for the church and opening your home for the church and and loving the church, while you are doing that, God's going to be right there giving you everything you need to do all of that. I want you to be confident of that. I want you to be challenged by that. But I want you to know God's going to come through for you. Not in such a way as to take away all of your experience of toil or hardship or difficulty or suffering. But God is going to carry you through. He is going to strengthen you. He is going to energize you. He is going to give you the power. It's going to work in you. We've already seen, we've seen the, the revelation of the, the, the mystery here. We've seen the, the riches of the glory of this mystery. And so, really, just taking out of verses uh, 3 and 4 in chapter 2, here's the second division. The mystery in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's, let's go into chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 5. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Well, Paul says, I I want you to know how how much I am struggling for you, the church in Colossae and and the church in Laodicea. And I want you to just make this this connection. In the the paragraph before, he says, I'm struggling for the church. 
That is, the, the body of Christ. That's, that's everybody, okay? That, I, I can say, in some sense, that I'm struggling for the church. But struggling for the church, that is, everyone who would ever believe in Jesus Christ, takes concrete form in, in little local churches like the one in Colossae and the one in Laodicea. It's real people with real flaws and real difficulties and, and they're, they're really going to regress and they're going to progress and they're going to, it's, it's real people. Work for them. Struggle for them. And he says, I, I, I haven't seen any of you face to face, haven't seen you in person, but I, I am struggling in these letters and, and all my ministry to see that you are, your hearts are encouraged or strengthened, or built up. If you go back a few verses before, he's talking about proclaiming Christ, teaching and admonishing to make everybody mature, and be encouraged, to encourage you or strengthen you. You need to be encouraged and strengthened by the continual proclamation of Christ. It wasn't like this was the first time they'd ever heard uh, Christ proclaimed. It's not the first time many of you have heard Christ proclaimed, but you need to hear Christ proclaimed because strength comes to serve and to self-deny, to live for Christ. Being knit together in love. It's the only time he talks about love in these, these few verses, but... This is love, serving other people, suffering for other people, denying ourselves for other people. That is love. I want you to be knit together like, like, like you can't pull it apart, like you, like you are brothers and sisters united by Jesus Christ. You're pulled together and knitted together in love. Love, um, not to quote corny song lyrics, which we can hardly avoid when we're talking about love, but love brings us together. Love will keep us together. Love knits us together. I want you to be knit together in love. I want want all of you who are believing in Jesus Christ to be knit together in love. I, I had a thought experiment this past week. Sometimes, not all the time, I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but sometimes I think it'd be really good if we if we pretended that we were the only church and that we were locked in to this church and so something doesn't go right or something, so we, we have to be around somebody we don't like or something goes wrong, well, we just got to work it out. I think that is something like what it means to be knit together in love, to show patience and humility and kindness for one another means to serve and care for one another and not give up on one another, to be patient with one another. So let's not, let's, let's do that. And he says to reach all the riches, all the riches, a full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. That is, reason why, one of the reasons why we can keep talking about Christ is because I want you to have the full confidence or the full assurance. I want you to know, I want you to know everything. The, the more you know about the mystery, who is Christ, the more confident you will be. Now, I think, I think there, was a, there was a pastor in the 60s and 70s who made a really, a really helpful note. People who are willing, people are willing to do anything when they know, the, have confidence in Jesus Christ. If you are assured 
And I mean, I mean, more and more. We can be assured as soon as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, but our, I think our assurance can grow. The more assured you are of the love of God and the, uh, even the, 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 the giving of God, the generosity of God, God's going to give you the strength. The more, you, the more confident you are in that, the, the more you are ready to move out and love, the, the, love, the, the riskier you are, will, the more risk you're willing to take, the, the more faith you're, you're ready to demonstrate, the more good works that you'll do. I want you to know the assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Where, where, where do I find that? Where do I find the knowledge and wisdom? Where do I find the, the confidence and the assurance? He says, of the mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want, I want to know wisdom and knowledge. Where do I find it? And again, the, there are the whisperings, the whisperings of the false teachers. Hey, come to come, come listen to us. You know, I know Paul, Paul told you this thing about Christ. We believe in Christ too. We really believe in Jesus Christ too. We, uh, aren't, we, we're, aren't we all Christians? Uh, we believe in Christ. We profess Christ. And so, so come listen and, and we have some wisdom and knowledge that can help you. Help you achieve fullness. Help you achieve prosperity. Help you, help you have the abundant life, the full life, the, the higher life. Come, come, come listen to us. We believe in Christ like Paul did. We've got some other things that we want to tell you about. And Paul is saying, why would you go anyplace else but Christ? Because in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's no place else to go. If you, if you want wisdom and knowledge, there's nobody else to go to. It's just Christ. The mystery of God which is Christ. Don't look anyplace else. Don't look for anything in addition to Christ. It is only Christ. And you fill in the blank for the hunger of the human soul, the hunger for satisfaction or fullness or joy or wisdom or knowledge or anything. The, the, the hunger for glory. It's Christ. It's in Christ. And he says there in verse, verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I'm telling you, move back to Christ because I don't want you to be tricked. I don't want you to be deceived. And, and I think that, that phrase, that, that just those couple of terms, plausible arguments, that's so helpful for us in resisting false teaching. Because you, know you know how false teaching works? It sounds about right. You, go, you go, go someplace, pick up a pamphlet. Don't, actually. Okay. Throw it in the trash. But if you happen to hear the false teaching, it sounds about right. It's like, that, yeah, yeah. And you know, what, you, know what, you know what it also sounds like? That's the thing that my pastor didn't tell me about. Oh, if, I, if oh, my, my pastor didn't tell me that, he's been holding that back on me, and he's not, he, he couldn't tell me about that. It sounds like a secret. Sounds about right. Don't be tricked by that. 
why, also why we need to know the word. Because the better we know the word, the more we will be able to. He says, I, I'm telling you this so that you will not be deceived. And also look at the way that he's talking about false teaching. You know, sometimes people, uh, even I myself, I'm just going to admit it to you. You might feel this way. Man, talk about false teaching. I just feel like that's a little bit distasteful. Because when you talk about false teaching, you are implying that other people are doing it. And I am a doing exactly that. I am implying that there are false teachers out there saying these wrong things. And that just, that feels a little judgmental and that kind of thing. But if, but if, but if you find that distasteful, you're going to find a lot of the New Testament distasteful. Because he talks about false teaching a lot. And here's the reason why he does it. And, and it's there in verse 5. He says, he says I, I am absent in body, so I've never been to Colossae. I'm not there now. But I'm with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. That is, I see, I'm telling you about false teaching, even though I am rejoicing that you are firm in the faith. I'm telling you not to move any place off of Christ or away from Christ, even though you're already firm in your faith in Christ. So he's not, he's not, he's not talking to a hospitalized patient. He's not trying to cure the disease or cut out the cancer. What he's doing is trying to strengthen the immune system so that we will be able to fight off false teaching. And it's simply this. Fight off the false teaching by knowing that everything is right there in Christ. The mystery is Christ. And how wonderful it is how wonderful it is, how praiseworthy it is, how much glory we ought to give to God that the riches of the glory of this ministry have gone out to all nations, all peoples, without distinction, without making distinctions between Jews and Greeks, barbarians, free or slave, any kind of, any kind of language, Hebrew-speaking, Greek-speaking, English-speaking, Chinese-speaking, Japanese-speaking, Arabic speaking, any kind of speaking, any kind of skin color, any kind of, any kind of speech pattern, all the kinds of, of cultures and dresses and all the different kinds of things that, that people eat, the weird things that people eat, like boudin and, and all the things that, that all the, and crawfish and all the weird culturally things that, that, that people are eating and, and no distinction, the gospel, the riches of the glory of Christ have been proclaimed To all of them, all under creation, Christ. The mystery is Christ and all the fullness, all the life, all the joy, all the fullness of of knowledge and wisdom is in Christ. Praise be to God our Father and his Lord Jesus Christ because the mystery has been made known to us. He chose to make it known to his saints so that we might know And see the glory of God. Once we were hostile toward God. Once we were alienated from the glory of God. But now. The mystery is Christ. God chose to make it known to us. So that we might again see the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. And no joy in praising him. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father. uh, We praise you for your wisdom. Only only to you belong all glory and praise and honor. 
All the power and all the dominion belong to your son, Jesus Christ. Your wise plan. And the mystery of the things that were hidden for long ages and generations. They were hidden. Seeing, seeing little pictures of the truth and hearing the promises and, and, and people putting their faith in that. And yet, we praise you, God, that now the full riches of the mystery of Christ have been made known to all peoples, even to us. Please grant that we would not be deluded. We would not be deceived. Please keep us from the power of the evil one, whose mouthpiece is the false teachers. Let us not be deceived by them. Let us look no place else for fullness of life or wisdom or knowledge. Help us not to look any place else but in Jesus Christ. We praise him above all others as he is our head and we are his body. Help us to serve the body of Christ. Help us to serve one another. Grant that we would deny ourselves daily. We would take up our cross and follow Jesus. And if that means putting off our garments and putting on slave clothes and washing other people's feet and doing those, those tasks that nobody else wants to do and helping those people that nobody else wants to help. Help us to be knit together in love and to humble ourselves and be ready to serve one another. To do as Christ did toward us, that as he served us and as he loved us, we ought to also love one another. We ask for your strength. We express our dependence upon you for all the gifts and all the ministries and all the suffering and all the service and all the toil. We know that the strength will come from you. We rely upon you. Grant that we rely upon you even more and have the assurance of all knowledge and wisdom in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.